culture and language, we can't separate them. As soon as you open your mouth and say, hi, there is culture. Different cultures do things differently. So uh, you can't just translate hi to whatever potentially appropriate in another language. You, you have to learn the whole scene, sequence of scenes. And Eleanor Jordan used to say, it's not language and culture, it's language in culture. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. Dr. Mari Noda talks about the game of language learning and how each of us can endeavor to fail better in our interactions with other cultures. Welcome to a new episode of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. And I'm Sam Lupowitz, the LRC's media manager. We are excited to speak with Dr. Mari Noda today. She recently gave a talk as part of our monthly LRC speaker series on things to consider as we learn to participate in another culture. You can find that video on our website. Welcome to Speaking of Language, Mari. Thank you. We are so excited to have you in the studio today with us. Uh, this is somewhat of a homecoming for you as, a, as an alum f- from Cornell here. Absolutely. Yes. So let's start out by having you briefly introduce yourself for our listeners and share with us your background and your own path with languages. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, that can go back a, quite a while. But mm-hmm. let me just start from where I was at Cornell mm-hmm. um, a few decades ago. Um, I came in as an international student, um, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I, English was my second language. It still is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, not everything was smooth, mm-hmm. but, um, I felt that this was a really wonderful community of people, um, who, I had two roommates, mm-hmm. um, who really welcomed me, and orientation week was somewhat of a... An interesting uh, thing. <laughs> uh, they had an orientation for international students. Mm-hmm, sure. So I went and I came back to my room and my two roommates were very eager to hear what I, what I thought about, about the whole experience. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, it was really nice. Uh, I, met a, I met a very nice uh, virgin. And they, they looked at me. <laughs> <laughs> And here is this innocent-looking Japanese girl. And they said, Mari, who did you meet? <laughs> and I thought I made a mistake on my V and B, which, you know, uh-huh. was a weakness for Japanese. I, I, so I really stressed my V. Yeah. So I met this very nice version. <laughs> they looked more and more puzzled. <laughs> Well, who I met was someone from Belgium. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So uh, that that was my initiation to Cornell experience. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that story. (laughs) But anyway, um, so, you know, language is contextualized. Absolutely. Um, so in, in that <laughs> mistake, uh, there were multiple things going on. And um, 
it, it was a very believable mistake, right? <laughs> <laughs> so every time I talk about context and language, I kind of come back in my own head uh, to yeah. that episode. <laughs> oh, that is so funny. <laughs> Are you still in touch with that lovely person from Belgium? No. <laughs> <laughs> it was a one-day encounter. Oh. <laughs> but, but memorable. Yeah, as it there you go. There Absolutely. You go. Yes. Oh, that is too funny. So tell us a little bit more about what you have been doing since that um, right. fateful day at orientation. <laughs> so um, I came in as a um, food and nutrition undergrad, mm -hmm. and I was going to become a specialist on um, uh, fat, you know, lipid mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. that had no calories. That was mm -hmm. going to be my research. Mm -hmm. um, but in my sophomore year, my parents, who were uh, in New York at the time, uh, had to go back to Japan. Mm -hmm. So... Um, They called me one day and said, Mari, pack up. You're leaving in one month. Oh, wow. I said, no, I'm not leaving in one month. Um, at the least, I need to finish mm -hmm. this academic year. Sure. So I started looking for a possibility of in an income. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I was always interested in, in was language. Mm. And I thought, okay, I can't, I can't teach English because everybody knows English around here. Um, but perhaps I can teach Japanese. Mm. So I went over to the um, language department. Uh, back then it was in Rand Hall. Mm -hmm. mm. And I looked for a name that looked credible. And that there was a Professor Murasaki. Uh, so I went to see her. The secretary said, well, she's on sabbatical. But yeah. there is uh, Professor Jordan if you like to meet her. And I thought, oh, yeah. Jordan. Uh, that doesn't sound like a credible name for Japanese, but I, <laughs> right. okay, I'll, 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 I'll meet her. And that really was the fateful meeting ah. because she was the forerunner um, and a specialist on Japanese language pedagogy. Was she Belgian? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you just couldn't help it. No, I couldn't. <laughs> that story will always make me smile. So wonderful. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I, I met her. And um, later on, several years later, I found out that she had a little folder for me. And in it, she had a little piece of paper that said, free tutor question mark <laughs> so that's how we met <laughs> mm -hmm. nice where did it take you from there well um so that semester there was nothing for me to do mm. but she said if, if you'd like to come to some classes to observe you, you're welcome to do so which i did and then in the spring semester um there was a shortage of uh teachers yeah. so she actually hired me as a ta uh and i was a sophomore Wow. Japanese was not something that would that many people took back sure. then. Uh, so I went, I walked into the classroom and saw my five students, and they were all older than I was, oh. mm. all male. Oh, they yeah. Looked, they looked frightening. Mm. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but that's how I started, yeah. and um, um, I got some training from uh, uh, Bob Sukul, mm -hmm. uh, who gave and took copious notes, and. Uh, spent 
hours with me afterwards talking about what went wrong, mm-hmm. what went right. Yeah. So I had a wonderful training, um, one-on-one training. Yeah. And uh, that's that's how I started. And then I got more and more into it. Yeah. And eventually I decided to um, study linguistics mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, finished eventually and yeah. went on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wonderful. All right. Well, in your talk, you compared learning a language to playing a game and that failures, especially when it comes to culture, are inevitable and frequent. So what is the role of culture in language learning and how can we, as you put it, fail better? Well, you want to listen to my other lectures? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But anyway, I think... The story that I started with is probably a nice failure, right? Uh, it was a <laughs> phenomenal mistake. Um, but I can laugh at it back now. Now mm-hmm. uh, It could have had worse <laughs> consequences. Um, but we all make, make mistakes. And uh, the question is how we come up from it and how we learn from it. So um, going back to your first question about culture and language, we can't separate them. Mm-hmm. Um, as soon as you open your mouth and say, hi, there is culture. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. some, in some cultures, you don't say hi. You, you just smile and nod. Mm. Or you uh, make a stern face uh, without saying anything for a few minutes. Uh, different cultures do mm-hmm. things differently. So uh, you can't just translate hi to whatever potentially appropriate in another language. Mm -hmm. You you have to learn the whole um, scene, sequence of scenes. So um, that's how I view culture and language. And Elena Jordan used to say, it's not culture and language and culture, it's language in culture. Mm. Mm. And there's there's real truth to that. You really can't separate them. Yeah, absolutely. You talked a lot about the pedagogical materials, their effectiveness and how important they are, especially Mm -hmm. when you think about how we can encourage our students to participate in different cultures and learn that. So can you recap for us what do effective materials actually look like? Wow. Um, I'd like to say when we choose materials, we are also biased by our own um, upbringings about what we learn from. So we tend to look at textbooks. We tend to go through the pages and see what's there. But really, um, if you're trying to learn a language, you, you can't avoid the noise, the sound, and how people move. So um, good materials, and in this day of technology and media accessibility, you have no excuse Mm -hmm. for not including the multimedia component to uh, the materials. So any any textbooks that don't have these other things, like at least the audio, Mm -hmm. uh, if not audio and video, Mm -hmm. uh, I become very skeptical. Mm -hmm. Um, So... That's the first thing I would look at. And then, of course, the content. Mm-hmm. Um, you you want to have 
not a just a list of stuff. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> but integrated things. Yeah. Um, yeah. How can those materials help improve students' level of performance in what you refer to as the language game? So what's the role? You shared some examples of um, videos mm-hmm. from a Japanese textbook. What do those materials really do for the learners? How are they effective? Um, materials, as I said, select things for the learners to um, work on. But they're just samples. So um, if learners approach language learning with materials thinking that that's all they have to master, mm. of course that's misleading. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only a small segment of the culture that they're going to be active in. But even if it's a small sample, one little sample should also um, enrich one's life in a immeasurable mm-hmm. way. So um, it, materials where there's a lot of wasted components mm, sure. um, are not all that useful. Yeah. Uh, but if you can do one little segment of the material and still do a lot in the language with people who don't know what you studied with, yeah. um, that would be really valuable, mm-hmm. wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. So in your own teaching experience, how do students react to these materials? You know, um, I find that students are very humble. Mm-hmm. They... Um, They put a lot of trust in the materials because yeah. that's what they're going to spend the most time with. They're not; Their teachers are not going to walk around with them on campus all day long, but they can do that with the materials. So if they befriend their materials, mm, true. Yeah. Um, they can get so much out of it. And good students know how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they don't... Uh, put away the material until three minutes before class. Mm-hmm. They they kind of really uh, dive into it. And students who do that tend to do better. Mm-hmm. So what is your thought about students learning language, culture, the combination, without ever being immersed in the target culture? Is it possible for students to become proficient in either or both without having the opportunity to actually being there? And maybe have you seen differences in, you know, in your years of Mm -hmm. teaching? You just mentioned media and, you know, how things have changed in that regard. But what are your thoughts on that? I think one, the being there, um, the study abroad opportunity is incredibly valuable. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't deny that at all. But for each student, there's the good time to do that. Sure. And better time to Mm -hmm. do that. Uh Um, And the better time, I would say, is after they have had some introduction and um, to some introduction to Mm. how they can use the language and when what they can watch out for Mm. uh, in the culture when they get there. Um, You know, 
I talked about this one student, Steve, yeah, yeah. Uh, who was very successful, even though he had no Japanese going to Japan at first. Um, but he's a special case. He was able to control things around him um, in ways that many students cannot do. Mm-hmm. Um, so if not just the um, basic level of language, at least the basic level of strategies for learning. Um, if we can send students with that to the target community, I think that would be really, really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So talking about a, a student like Steve, who you said is a, a good at playing the language game, maybe uh, unusually so, uh, when you ask that question, what is your game as far as language goes? Uh, when we study language, the game isn't clear and even less clear is how you win the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't know how to score until someone shows us. There's no rule book. Can you unpack that for us some more? I wish I could. <laughs> <laughs> the holy grail right there. <laughs> Um, in two minutes, <laughs> take, take all the time you need. Yeah, your life's work right there. Yeah. Um, observing, um, observing, observing, and um, absorbing, mm. and then trial and error. Mm. A lot of trial mm-hmm. and error. But that's where the pedagogical materials become useful you know they give you some um elements Mm -hmm. that you can use for your trial um they can prevent certain faux pas (laughs) sure um so and and they they are very encouraging in terms of what you can do um so take it from there and really um not be afraid to make the mistake, but be sensitive to other people's reactions so that when you do make mistakes, you gain from them, that you um, reflect, you you have the ability to reflect on what you've done and think about Mm. it. Yesterday I was um, visiting the first-year Japanese class, Mm -hmm. and one of the students asked me, you know, at at the recent interview test, I said this, and I think I got my points taken off. Um, is that really bad? And I, I felt like saying, hallelujah to you for thinking about that. Mm-hmm. You know, he, yeah, he didn't just uh, um, throw away the score sheet. Mm-hmm. He thought about it, and he came to identify this one little phrase that he used, which was grammatically fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but didn't work as well as he had wanted Mm. his utterance to work. And it's that small thing. And the better you are at coming up with perfectly grammatical sentences, the worse it is when you make the mistake because people think that you made, you you were intentional, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that it wasn't a mistake. Mm -hmm. So... um, this this is some this is an this is sidetracking. This is an argument someone made 
when we were talking about pronunciation. Mm -hmm. They said, well, if you sound perfectly good as if you're a native speaker, and if you make pragmatic error, then people think that you were serious. Mm, that you oh, that you yeah. didn't make the mistake because you mm -hmm, were not mm -hmm. used to the language. And isn't mm -hmm. that bad? Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, that's a legitimate question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and we had a case who, uh, he was on an internship in China, and his Chinese was really good. Yeah. But he was... He didn't know how to use humor. Mm. Humor is difficult. Oh, yeah. Right? So he was using all the American humor with Chinese. Oh. And that was bad. Uh-huh. Fascinating. Uh, he was thrown out of more companies than huh? you can imagine in the internship program. And mm. the program was having to find another place for him. Yeah. Every three weeks. Because Chinese people just didn't like this. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. And they thought that he was the bad guy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When he was well intended. Mm -hmm. So the the better you are at the linguistic code level mm -hmm. Mm. when it doesn't match with your pragmatics. Yeah. This is a bad combination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so failing is good in in many regards, but sometimes failing like that is <laughs> is dangerous. That that is for dangerous. Your, yeah. Yes, yeah, yes, for your yeah. professional yeah. career. Interesting. You know, one thing I I think about uh, quite frequently. I haven't lived in Germany for a very long time, and sometimes I wonder if other colleagues who are teaching language are in a similar um, situation. How can you actually? accurately portray current language use, current cultural phenomena, because, I mean, mm -hmm. German culture for me kind of fossilized over 20 years ago, mm -hmm. right? Um, how do you, and, and certainly pedagogical materials help with that, but how can you overcome that as an educator? Or what are some yeah. strategies where you can make sure that, you know, students don't end up sounding like, you know, German from... Mm -hmm. 50 years ago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, very good question. Um, yeah, it's a lot easier today because of the media, mm -hmm. the internet. Um, I can keep track of the news, the a lot of the TV programs, and of course, certainly YouTube, um, to see how people uh, use language to interact with each other, um, what sort of things are, are being used, what sort of things become dead. Mm. And it is really astonishing, um, even in the culture that you're being surrounded by, even today. Um, let me give you an example. The, the other day, um, I had a large event last week, And uh, a local paper wrote up about it. And so somebody found the article online and sent it around. And I thought, oh, that's really nice. So I went to the supermarket and got the real newspaper, mm -hmm. uh, the paper, yeah. newspaper, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, I sh took a picture and sent it to some of the other uh, organizers. And the one person went out 
right away to get herself a copy as well. I think he, she went to either Walgreen or some uh, other pharmacy and asked, you know, where, where did they have newspaper? Um, and um, the response she got was, what's that? Hmm. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Well. <laughs> mm-hmm. And at Thanks. first, and now uh, yeah. I feel ancient. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. So she she wow. she didn't comprehend this at first, and she said, "The, the newspaper, you know, newspaper, uh, uh, today's newspaper." <laughs> and she she still got, "What's that?" Hmm. So times are changing all around us. Yeah. Um, so it's it's difficult to keep track of something like that without experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, um, trying to um, keep up with the media, at least, uh, with um, a lot. I, I do watch a lot of drama and uh, news. I watch the Japanese news every day mm-hmm. um, just to see what well, just just to follow on the topics and the the way people talk about things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So going back to pedagogical materials such as videos or even newspapers, uh, can language educators use the same materials for different proficiency levels? And how would they need to adapt them to make them relevant for different learners? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, If you go off pedagogical materials... You have to do that, right? You, mm-hmm. you, if you use, like, let's say, a little clip from a movie, that's not a pedagogical materials, but you sure. could use it for pedagogical purposes. Mm-hmm. And, and what you do with it uh, would be different. What we have to watch out for is um, if you take a clip from a movie and say, um, who is this? Mm-hmm. If that's something that you would actually do with that clip, and oftentimes it is, so that's legitimate. But if, if the movie portrays um, a Tokyo station that most people would recognize right away if they were in Japan and say, what kind of place is this? Just to practice the word, the train station, mm-hmm. that is a little strange to me. <laughs> mm. So what you do with the pedagogical materials, you can change it depending on the level of the students, but at all times you also have to be mindful as to is this, a, is this an okay question within the culture? Mm. Is this purely pedagogical or is this, is this only to elicit the word mm-hmm. train station? Yeah. Or... Is this a question that people would ask? Mm-hmm. Um, that's the kind of question I always have um, when I use materials, whether it's pedagogical materials or not. Mm-hmm. Um, same media that comes with the pedagogical materials, the way I used it yesterday in my talk, where you would look at a little piece of dialogue mm-hmm. yep. and go really deep into where is this, who are these people, what roles they're playing, where's the audience. That's a little advanced Sure. Uh, to do it in the target language. You can do it in the base language of the learners at the beginning level. At the advanced level, you can have the same discussion in the target mm-hmm. language. And that 
um, that's an exercise I call performance watch. Mm. And I do it with graduate students all the time. Um, but to do that in the target language would be an interesting exercise for the advanced level. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, Mari, there is so much more that we could talk about. But can we direct our listeners to online resources where they can find out more about you and your work? Online resources. Um, well, I I did produce, uh, along with a few other uh, co-authors, a new uh, beginning to intermediate level Japanese. Mm-hmm. And there's a website for that. Um, it's, it's at uh, Brigham Young University. And it's called Nihongo Now. So if anybody went to nihongonow.byu.edu, you'll find an array of Mm -hmm. interesting things, including um, a web video that was produced on location in Tokyo with a professional director and sound mixer and actors uh, that depicts one of the scenes Uh, from each chapter of the first volume, Hmm. 12 episodes Mm -hmm. um, that are pretty fun to watch. Uh, It comes with a lot of music and movements and a lot of cultural introductions. So, Great. So before we sign off, we'd like to ask you to share a word in a language you speak, love, are learning, want to learn, that doesn't exist in English, but you wish it did. What word comes to (laughs) mind for you? You know, you gave me that homework yesterday. (laughs) And just about every word I can think of in Japanese, I like that. But um, I'm going to select um, this word. It's yappari. Mm -hmm. Yappari. And beginning level learners know this word. But it's interesting that in that it's... um, if I had to kind of translate it into English, it's a word that you use to indicate that this is an observation of an outcome after some thinking or debating or all things that could have happened. That's the end product. That's mm-hmm. how... It's, it's 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 rather complicated. So let me give you a few examples. All right. So um, you're a high school student and you have applied to many schools, and all of the schools look really attractive. One place gives you good scholarship. Another place is located in the ideal location. So you have a really hard time choosing. And in the end, yappari, I'm coming to Cornell. So this is after long, hard thinking. After all, well, okay, this is it. That's when you use it. Another place, uh, you're planning a a hiking, and uh, you're really worried about the weather, um, and um, you really want to go, but it may snow, Mm. it may rain. Uh, it may be cloudy, and in the morning you wake up. Ah, yeah, buddy, it's snowing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there, you it's you're not really talking about the result of a long thinking process, but when it's all said and done, yeah, mm-hmm. that's the mm-hmm. end result. Um, 
but it's it's used in many many uh, situations. Yeah, and uh, it's used often. Yeah, I like that. That's a good one. Well, Mari, thank you so much for speaking of language with us today. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Next week, we will speak with two of Cornell's 2025 college scholars about their exciting projects regarding responses to alienation across cultures and about the role of language in the application of the rule of law around the world. Until then... Auf Wiederhören! The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or follow Cornell LRC on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz. Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners. And do stay tuned for our next episode.